stand. Take our Bibles, please, this morning. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you're new here to the church, I'm going to ask all of our our members to look around and to share their Bibles with you. Or if you don't have a King James Version translation, I'm going to ask that you follow our members as they they direct you this morning. John chapter 6. And we're going to continue on our series, Nothing But the Truth. And I want you to notice verse 5, and we'll read to verse 13. We're back in the same passage we read last week, but we're going to take, take a different pathway. There's so many principles here, and I want to make sure we don't miss this one this morning. John chapter 6, verse 5. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right, we're going we're gonna to have a little fun this morning because I've been doing all the talking. I need to hear you talk for a minute, okay? Except don't talk when I'm preaching, amen, you know? But uh, well, I'm going to read the odd number verses, and you read the even number verses until we get to verse 13. Is that Okay. I read odd, you read even, all right? Verse 5, I'm going to read. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Congregation, and this he said, Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Congregation, and one of his disciples, there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Congregation, and Jesus said, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Congregation, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Notice verse 13. Therefore they gathered them together and fill 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. What a story. By the way, it's true. I want you to zone in on a few thoughts and words before we preach this morning. Did you do that? I want you to notice verse 9. I want you to underline that phrase, there is a lad here. I want you to underline the phrase five barley loaves, two small fishes. I want you to go to verse 11 and underline the phrase, as much as they would. Then I want you to underline verse 12, they were filled, when they were filled. It's interesting that God put that adverb there, when. And then notice in verse 12, the fragments that remain, and then after that, that nothing be lost. And then notice verse 13, but you notice the phrase, over and above unto them that had eaten. Has anyone ever given you too much food? Huh? Have you ever eaten too much? Well, at least there's some honest Christians here this morning, Matt. There should have been all, yeah, amen, you know. But You ever gone somewhere where there's just a whole lot of food and a lot of leftovers? I think one of the hits about, one of the, one of the great events about our church, and we ever have food, there's always, if we serve food, there's a lot of food left over because I, I see a lot of people like this story. They're going away with more food than they ate, amen, you know. We see faith. We see the power of God. We see accountability. But I want you to see the truth about giving this morning. There's some wonderful, powerful principles in this passage about giving. And I want to preach you a message this morning entitled, The Great Giveaway. And I pray that the Lord would speak to our hearts and teach us from his engrafted word, which is able to save souls. Father, bless your word this morning, and we know that you will, because you promised in Isaiah 55 that your word will never return void unto you. Lord, as you said through a prophet of the Old Testament, help me to speak that which you've given to me, nothing more, nothing less. 
Father, we know that the word of God that's in our possession is inspired of you. It's God-breathed. And Father, I pray that you breathe on us these words. I pray that they would go very deep into our hearts and speak to us in a powerful way. For these remaining minutes, bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What is the biggest giveaway you've ever made? Was it a financial donation? Was it a large article? Was it a, you know, is there something that you recall that you made that was a very big giveaway that stands out of your mind? In 2017, the three largest monetary giveaways as far as recorded in the United States were by the fallen people. Bill and Melinda Gates of Microsoft fame gave away $4.7 billion. I don't know about you, but that's just a big number. It's way beyond me. I, I can't even imagine how many buildings you could build with $4.7 billion, amen? Or how many, how, what you could do with the gospel message for that. Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla gave away $2 billion. Of course, they, they helped give a, a bunch of money to UCSF Medical Center. And then Michael Dell of Dell Computer fame gave away $1 billion. That's all in one year. And then before all that, between I think 2012 and 2015 or 16, uh, here in the local Bay Area, uh, Mark and Lynn Benioff of Salesforce.com gave away somewhere to the tune of two, on two, different, uh, two different giveaways, $200 million to help the UCSF, children's, uh, UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital. I mean, those are great giveaways. This morning, I want you to notice in John chapter 6, we're going to see three giveaways. Three giveaways that in my heart and mind, I pray in yours, are much more substantial than anything these multi-billionaires have ever given away. Now, I thank God for charitable donations, and I thank God for people in our church who give and give sacrificially. And I'm sure there's many organizations that are very thankful for people that give money to them. But I want you to notice in John chapter 6, there are three important and foundational giveaways that we find here in John chapter 6. You'll notice here as we think about giving, we must start with the definition because giving is when from our hearts we allocate of our assets and substance to someone or something. Giving is when we allocate from within our hearts, from, our, from something we own, from our assets or substance to someone or something. Now, in one way or the other, all of us have some form of giving that we're involved in. In the simplest terms, we give of our time. In other ways, we give of our ability. And for many of us this morning, we just took up the offering, we give of our dollars. Now, when we give, we give either biblically or we give unbiblically. We either give scripturally or unscripturally. Now this morning we want to look at giving. We want to understand the principles of giving. You say, preacher, why are we looking at giving? Because giving is inherent in the Bible. God is giving. We find that foundation in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Someone has said this, we are most like God when we give. Martin Luther said this, a religion that gives nothing costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Our former president Calvin Coolidge who was president back during the time of the Great Depression said this, no person was ever honored for what he received, he was honored for what he gave. And then I like what the author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan said about giving. He said this, I thought was kind of interesting. He said, a man there was and they called him mad, the more he gave, the more he had. And of course, the greatest words on giving are the words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with those should be measured to you again. And then the Apostle Paul, as he was giving a farewell address to the pastors which were scattered throughout the city of Ephesus, as he was making his way to Jerusalem, he had a final meeting with these men. We find the record of this in Acts 20. He met them in an area by the coastline called Miletus. He called for them to travel from Ephesus to Miletus. And there he said this, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now we can't get away from giving. We can't get away from the fact that we have a giving God. The Bible says every good gift 
And every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father lights, in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We cannot get away from giving. We must understand today, while you're here, we're giving you the Word of God. While we're here, God is going to give you a, a something in your heart and mind that you're going to have as a takeaway. We must understand today, there is giving, but there's a responsibility in giving. There are principles about giving that we find here in John chapter 6. A good Christian understands that giving is part of the Christian life. We say this all the time. Worship is not worship unless there's giving. Unless we're giving back to God, we are not truly worshiping God. So we want to see some things about giving. We want to see this morning three life-changing giveaways found in John chapter 6. Notice the first giveaway, the first great giveaway, is found in verse 9. We find the first giveaway is found in a little lad. We see a lad. We want to see the giveaway of this little lad. Now, the, to understand this, we must understand that the story about the, the feeding of the multitudes is so important that God had it recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's recorded in Matthew 14, it's recorded in Mark chapter 6, it's recorded in Luke chapter 9, and it's here in John chapter 6. Now, all of them give us a very strong idea and, and spotlight of what's going on, but each writer, in a spe specific way, gives us a little bit more interesting spotlight. Matthew Mark take a little bit more time in describing to us the setting and the background for why this, this setting occurred. Jesus and his disciples traveled from the western shores of the Sea of Galilee to the northeast shores of, the, of, the, of Galilee. So they got on a boat. They traveled to the northeast corner. They're outside a famous city there by the name of Bethsaida. And there they got into a countryside, what was called, what Matthew Mark calls a desert area. Now it wasn't a desert area in the sense it was desolate and there were weeds and cactuses and all that. There may have been cactus. But as we read our scriptures very carefully, we find that it was just a very secluded area. It was a country area. It was an area uninhabited. There were no houses there. It was kind of a grassy area. In fact, it's so grassy, it was called green grass in one of, one of the gospels there. So it was an area that was secluded. Jesus specifically went there to take his disciples to a mountain. They had been working hard. They were exhausted. Quite honestly, as we read John, Matthew 14, Jesus and disciples were a little bit sorrowful. Their hearts were broken. John the Baptist had been martyred and killed by King Herod. And of course, then when the news got back to Jesus, he was heartbroken. They're feeling the sense of exhaustion from many things. And so he told them, come ye apart a while that ye may rest. And he was instilling a good principle there. He was reminding us that every now and then when we are going hard and we're going strong and we're putting a lot of effort in and we're, we're, we're depleting our, our strength and we get to the place where we're depleted, we're giving out more than we're taking in, that every now and then we need to realize that and we need to pull aside. We need to rest a while so that we don't come apart. And so he told them to do that. And they went up to a mountain and Jesus was just getting started with the disciples. But as he was doing so, the crowds were following where he was at. They were following the miracles. They were following the signs and wonders that he was doing. And so the crowds got an idea which way he was going. And believe it or not, many of those people, they went by foot and met them over in Bethsaida. In fact, some of them got there before Jesus. And so as Jesus is just trying to get, to just catch his breath with the disciples, and they're trying to just get re rejuvenated for what they've been depleted of, these crowds come. And Matthew tells us, and Mark tells us, he sees these great multitudes. You have to imagine, we know how the story ends, but there's probably as much as fifteen to 25,000 people that are there. The Bible says 5,000 men plus women and children. And many commentators believe there could have been upwards to fifteen to 25,000 people. That's a lot of people that would just travel on the other side from west to east, northeast, to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ sees these people, and he's burdened about them. Again, bear in mind, they went there for a short time of, uh, let's say, R&R, &R, a short time of rest. And, uh, you know, maybe it was you and me, we'd feel a little bit of an interruption there. We'd feel like, oh, you know, I just need to get away from the people. But Jesus didn't feel that way. Jesus looked on the crowd, and the Bible says his heart was moved with compassion towards them. And he just kind of said, you know what, I just need to minister to these people and be there for them. And he just stopped what he was doing with the disciples, and he started ministering. He started healing their sick. And as we read this passage of Scripture, he stands up and he's teaching them. He's teaching the doctrines of the Word of God. Now, as we do that, I'm just thankful for one thing. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ never considers you and I as an interruption to him. Amen? I'm just glad we can come to Jesus any time of the day, any day of the week. We can come to morning, night, or noon, and our God is always available. He has a sign that's open all the time. I don't know about you, the other day I had to pick up some medicine for my wife, and we, she checked on, a, she checked on the... Um, 
the, the time that the, the, the farm is to be open. And I was hoping they'd be open a little bit later because we've been running hard all day. And they closed a certain time. I was, oh, man, I wish they were open. I wish they were a 24-7 pharmacy chain, but they weren't. And so I said, well, we just have to deal with that there. But I'm going to tell you today, I'm thankful Jesus is available all the time. And he was available for this crowd of people that came. And they were exhausted, if you would. The, the disciples and Jesus were exhausted. And it was getting towards the end of the day. The Bible says it was getting to the place where it's the end of the day, which in their terminology meant it was about uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon noon the sun was setting they were watching it and it was at that fourth hour of the day and they knew that it was getting dark there that they were so far away from the villages and towns which uh, and where they could get they can get food and things that it was better for them to dismiss these people so the disciples come to Jesus and they say Jesus Lord you need to send them away and I think they meant two things one I think they were good they were definitely concerned that these people would go and get their own food and take care of themselves because once the sun would set it would be too dark and they'd be hungry and they'd be wary there's nowhere from the rest their heads. And so they were saying, Lord Jesus, send them away. But I think in, just in their heart of hearts, deep down inside, though they didn't probably want to indicate this, they were just tired of the people. They were tired of serving. They were tired of ministering. And their attitude was, Lord, just send them away. Send them away. Let them take care of themselves. When Jesus gives a command, if you read Matthew 14 and Mark chapter 6, though it's not recorded in John chapter 6, it's a very important command that we read here. Jesus says this to these disciples. These disciples whose faith is starting to diminish. There's disciples who are tired, these disciples who wanted the crowds to go away, these disciples who are kind of at this peak, this point where we get to sometimes, where we're just kind of on overload in terms of receiving the word of God, and we're an overload on ministering. They said, send them away. Jesus gave this command, give you them to eat. Now, he wasn't giving them option. He wasn't giving them suggestion. It was a strong command. He didn't say something like this. He didn't say, Brother Erwin, do, do you suppose we can give them something to eat? Or he didn't say something like this. Brother Daniel, do you think we have some food in the kitchen to give them? He made a command. He didn't ask them, what did they have in their possession? He didn't ask the disciples, what did you bring? He knew what they brought. He knew what they had. The Bible tells us that in John chapter 6. But he issues a command to them. And in Matthew 14, he says, give ye them to eat. Now, as he gives that command, notice we find the responses or the reaction of the more of the reaction. First of all, what you notice in chapter, chapter 6 of John, verse 7, we have the reaction of Philip. Now, Philip is a, is a calculating, analytical disciple. He's the numbers man. One of the numbers guys that's there. And he's the guy that he's looking there, and he could just kind of feel the Lord's eyes moving towards him, and boom, they zone in on Philip. And he looks at Philip, and he, say, he asks Philip a question. He says, Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And, uh, and Jesus did that for a purpose because he knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to find out what Philip would do. Now, I'm just going to tell you this this morning. Sometimes when you're very tired, and sometimes when you're very worn out, and sometimes when you're depleted, and if you ever get this place where you just kind of feel brain dead, and you feel like your soul is just completely empty, you're not really spiritual that moment of time. You're really not thinking about praying. You're really not thinking about more preaching. You're really not thinking about more church. You're really thinking about, I just want to go home and rest, and I want to just kind of put, take my shoes off and go rest and things like that and uh, and that's where these disciples at and Philip if you mind you he's thinking the Lord just told me we need to give them bread to eat and he's asking me specifically where are we going to find bread to feed them and Philip makes a response that shows his little faith his emptiness in his heart and he says Lord 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient or not enough for them. So in other words, Philip is calculating, he's thinking, and I don't know if he's thinking about all the sum total of money they had among all the 12 disciples. We're not sure if that's where we got this number from. But he's thinking in terms of monetary value. And he's saying something like this, Lord, maybe among us we can garner up eight months of wages, because that's what 200 penny worth meant. Eight months of wages. But he said, even if we had that, that would not be enough to feed them. Now, here's what he's saying. Lord, we don't have in our capability to feed them. Lord, we don't have enough. Lord, it's not possible. Lord, we're, it's just, this doesn't seem how we can feed these people. There's no way, even if we divvy it up to very small portions, that we can take care of them. Well, as that's going on, Philip and the other disciples, we read this in Matthew 14 and Mark 6, Philip and the other disciples are just kind of thinking, Lord, how are we going to get this all done? We don't have enough bread. We don't have enough resources. Well, along all the way, we see personality number two. Notice we go a verse below that, and we go to verse, we go to verse 8 and 9, and we read about Andrew. This gets us to the lab. And Andrew comes on the scene. 
And Andrew has, while he's listening to this conversation, go with Jesus and Philip and the other disciples in the background to chime in. Andrew, unfortunately, here is doing something different. Notice this, one of the disciples, comma, Andrew. The Holy Spirit purposely put the spotlight on Andrew because he wanted to see that one of the disciples was kind of scoping out the audience. Now remember, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. If we, if we could just imagine 15 to 25,000 people, that's a lot of people. This is a huge, huge a wilderness area. There's a huge country area just thronging with people. And here's just a small group, Jesus and 12 men that he's training for the ministry around him. And of all things, Andrew's kind of scoping out there. And the people are standing up because we know that from the scriptures. They're kind of standing up at that time. And Andrew's scoping around. Well, listen, the Lord's looking for some food and I've got to, someone's got to say if there's something here. And somewhere, I believe, very close by, his eyes caught on a little boy there. He's called a lad. He's a, a little boy. He's a elementary school age. He could have been past maybe first or second grade. He's just a very, very little guy. And he notices this little boy holding a Hebrew lunch sack. A Hebrew lunch sack basically was a little container that he had. That would be your little uh, lunch kit you'd have today or lunch box you'd have today. And he went over to the little boy while this conversation is going on. And he brings this boy to Jesus. And somewhere along the way, I see Andrew having this conversation with him. He says, hey, little boy. He said, what's in your bag? And, and, and the little boy says, well, I'm not to tell you. You're a stranger, amen, you know? But he goes on, he says, no, he says, what's in your bag? And, and the little boy says, well, I, I just have my, my mother prepared for me, you know, five barley loaves and two small fishes. It's very specific. They're having this conversation. Phil, Andrew could not have brought back this information unless the little boy volunteered it. I think the little boy was a very trusting boy. He was right there in the audience where he could be seen. He wasn't way in the back. He was in the front in visual, where, 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 where Andrew could visualize and see him. And so he goes and has this conversation with the little boy, and he brings him to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he brings him to Jesus. And notice he says here in verse 9, there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now notice, if you would, the setting this morning that the first great giveaway begins with a lad. Notice again verse 9, we see the presence of this lad. We see it says there is a lad here. There is a boy here. There's somebody here that has something that you might be interested in. Listen, there were thousands of people there. There were men that were there. There were women that were there. There were sick people there. There were people Jesus had healed. There were people that Jesus was teaching. Everybody there was of importance to Jesus Christ. Everybody had his attention because Jesus is all-knowing. He knew who was there. He knew who the professionals were. He knew who the laborers were. He knew who the hurting people were. But of all the things, we get to verse 9, and the spotlight from the Holy Spirit focuses on this little boy. And he says, there is a lad here. There's a boy here. You've got to meet Jesus. There's a boy here. He was there to hear and to see. He was there to listen. He was there to, he spent the afternoon. He was here. He was here in the front, not in the back. He was here to be taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was here to see Jesus perform his miracles. He was here to just spend time with Christ. In fact, it's interesting. This little boy was so caught up with what Jesus was doing. He probably just totally forgot he had this little Hebrew lunch bag with him with his food in it. He was here. He was here to let Jesus minister to him. He was there to worship. He was there to the close of service. He was there if Jesus stayed there overnight. A little boy was here. Now the question we have to ask this morning, are you here? Are you here? Are you where God wants you to be? Are you here with your heart all the way in the message. Are you here in the scriptures? Are you here to worship God? Are you here to give glory to his name? Are you here to exalt when you leave today saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Are you here to worship? Are you here to give? Are you here to witness? Are you here to sense the power of God? Are you here to support the ministry? There is a lad here. God's looking for people that are here, not there and not there, but people that are here. Are you here in God's will? Are you here serving God? Are you here doing all that you can? Are you here today to decide as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We see the presence of a little boy. The focus was on a boy whose little faith was determined by one thing. Jesus is coming to my area. Jesus is coming to my town and I'm going to go there today and I'm going to hear Jesus. He wasn't way in the back. He was at the front where he could hear Jesus. He wasn't worried about his lunch. He was more concerned about the Lord. Are you here? We see the presence of this lad, but notice we see the part participation of this lad. 
Andrew brings this little boy, then he, Andrew fades out the scene. Andrew's done enough critiquing and questioned question and answered the boy. He said, there is a lad here, one lad, one boy. He wasn't messing around with his friends. He wasn't seeing texting messages away while the master was preaching. He's there listening intently to Jesus. Andrew caught attention. There's a lad here. And he saw his lunch bag. He had five barley loaves and two little fishes. He saw a little boy there. And he said, there's a boy here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Now I want you to understand something. When Andrew met this boy, when Andrew conversed with him, when the boy told him what he had in his possession, immediately Andrew doesn't leave him there in the crowd. Andrew takes the little boy, maybe even by, by his hand, and he leads him to Jesus. This little boy is being introduced to our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9. There is a face-to-face conversation. The gentleness of our Lord and Savior stops everything he's doing to focus on the boy. And Andrew's kind of like saying, Lord, there's a boy here, and I'm not sure if he's the solution to this problem we have, but he's got five little barley loaves, and he's got two small fishes, and I'm just bringing him to you. And when he did so, it was implied. Watch this now. It was implied that as he brought this boy with the five barlows, two fishes, the boy had already decided when he came with Andrew that he was going to give this over to Jesus for whatever Jesus was going to do. Now, we know how the story is going to unfold. And we know how the story is going to end. And we know how the Lord's going to multiply. But before their eyes, before they knew what was going on, those men, especially Andrew, were just kind of wondering in their mind, the wheels are turning. What exactly is the Lord going to do? What exactly is going to happen here? There's this little boy. And in their minds, they're thinking, you know, what value does a little boy boy have? What contribution can this little boy make? And they're looking at this little boy, and then they're looking at his little lunch bag. I mean, really, what he had was the equivalent of a snack. It really was nothing that could hold an adult, let alone a little boy. It was just a small snack of five little barley loaves and two little sardine fishes that they pulled out of the Sea of Galilee. And it was presumed as this boy came to Jesus that there was a need, and this boy gave it to Andrew, who in Andrew in turn, it, you might say this, Andrew was functioning as a usher, as a deacon, who took custody of, the, of, the, of this possession. And he brought this boy, and he brought his possession to Jesus. Did you notice something? The boy came in person with his possession. He didn't just give it over and fade off the scene. He came with Jesus with the possession. You see what I'm seeing this morning, man? He's bringing that to the Lord Jesus Christ there. And we see this little boy making a participation, making a gift. Notice the great giveaway of this boy. He gave away all of his lunch. He gave away all that he had. Notice this boy as he gave it to Andrew to give to Jesus. He gave unselfishly. He gave without any begrudgingness towards this offering. He gave unselfishly. He gave unhesitatingly. When Andrew spoke to him, it was immediate. He gave this. That's why Andrew could confidently say, Lord, there's a lad here which has five loaves and two fishes. It was implied the boy was giving this over to be used for whatever Jesus wanted to do. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't ask if I'm going to get my lunch back. In fact, he didn't even bargain with Jesus. I know most little kids today, you'd say, would you share your french fries with me? They'd say, yeah, you can have one. And it's the one that fell on the floor, amen, you know? I, I tease our kids, sometimes our children's departments, they give them some crackies and cookies and crackers, and they're very careful of allergy situations, things like that. And I'll say, oh, that looks so good. Would you share one? And they you know these kids, they're very smart. They always give me the one that's broken, amen? <laughs> you say, what do you do? I take it. I ask for it, amen? I don't eat it, but I take it, you know? This little boy's not like that. He gave immediately. He didn't bargain. He didn't have second thoughts. Now, you say, well, that's so small. It looks small to us, but I want you to see what Jesus does with it. Amen? He gave unhesitatingly. There ought to be such a spirit in God's people to give. To have an excitement. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, God loveth a cheerful giver. Will you give with joy and attitude? I can't wait to participate. I'm prepared to give my offering. I'm prepared to tithe. This boy gave unselfishly. He gave unhesitatingly. But you notice he gave unreservedly. What you notice, there's a ladder which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. He gave all that he
that he had. There's a ladder. He came, not knowing how the day would unfold, not knowing what would happen, but that boy, through his life and through his gift, became part of a great miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And the most interesting thing is, John is the one who zones in on this lad. He's the only one that mentions the boy. The other three narratives mention the loaves and they mention the fishes, but they kind of just didn't mention the boy. Maybe that for whatever reason they wanted to keep it for John, but John zones in on the boy because he reminds us that whatever we give to Jesus, Jesus never throws it away. We see the giveaway of a lad. A lad here was five barley loaves and two small fishes. I wonder if there are people here this morning that have a spirit like that little boy. Unreserved, unselfish, unhesitating to respond to the Lord's work. In May of this year, on the third Sunday of May, we've designated another Giving by Faith banquet for our church. An opportunity for us once and again to participate in a, a love offering above our tithes and our faith promise offerings. And designated this year towards the, the debt reduction of the Berean Center so we can get this paid down and eventually paid off. And to move God's people in realizing that though the construction has, is stopped, is, is all done, that the pay down of the building still is our obligation we need to take care of there. And realizing that, that as it was sacrificed to get us this point, it's sacrificed to get us beyond that. I wonder this morning how much will come and be here to give our loaves and our fishes. We see the giveaway of the Lord. But you notice number two, very quickly. But you notice the giveaway of the loaves. We see the giveaway of the lad. But you notice, secondly, the giveaway of the loaves. Now, as we read this, remember, Jesus gave a command. Give ye them to eat. And of the disciples, Philip says, how are we going to feed them? We don't have enough. We, we see what you want to do, Lord, but what, what are we going to do? And Philip, really what Jesus was trying to get Philip to do, says, Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, Lord, you, you tell us. Lord, you, you're able to, but that wasn't what came out of Philip's mouth. And then Andrew got a little bit closer, but not even as close enough as, as, as he needed to be. He said, well, Lord, I, I found a boy here. I found a little boy here, and he's got five loaves and two fishes, but Lord, he's willing to give that to you, and he's already told me that, and I brought this little boy to you, and he's here bodily with me, and, but what are they among so many? Lord, how are you going to get this done? As we read Mark chapter, you might want to mark this down, Mark chapter 6, verse 18, when he's told about the loaves and fishes, this is what Jesus said. He gives, gives commandment number two. Commandment number one, give you them to eat. Commandment number two, Mark 6, 18, bring them hither to me. Bring them hither to me. Are you here? Bring it hither to me. <laughs> Are you here? Bring you hither to me. He says, bring it to me. Jesus didn't ask questions. Jesus didn't reject it. Jesus didn't, didn't use that as his teaching moment. He said, bring it to me. Now, we see some principles about the great giveaway of the loaves because we're going to see what this lad gave. He had no idea what the Lord was going to do. But now we go to step number two. And step number two is the great giveaway of these loaves, these five barley loaves and two fishes. Notice quickly some things about, that the Lord teaches about this. Notice, first of all, in verse 11, we see the acceptance of those loaves. The Bible says, Jesus took the loaves. Great Jesus graciously received from this boy's hands what he had. He told the disciples, bring them hither to me. He says, okay, if you're going to give it, put it into my hands. Listen, Jesus graciously receives what we give to him. Jesus takes whatever we give him. On a larger scale, Jesus wants us to present our lives to him. Jesus wants you to know as a believer that your next step in obedience is to follow him in scriptural baptism, to show your obedience to the Lord and your identification with the, the, the local New Testament church you got saved through and that your your identification with him and his death real resurrection and uh, your identification with the doctrines and direction of that church he wants us to do that but the next big thing god wants us to do is present our bodies to him he wants our lives the bible says over romans chapter 12 verse 1 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice 
holy, acceptable unto the Lord. And he says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. God wants us to bring what we have, and God doesn't turn anything away. God uses what we have. God lovingly receives that. On a larger scale, Jesus wants you and me to bring us his life. You give your life to Jesus, Jesus never turns your life away. You give your opportunities to Jesus, he never turns it away. Jesus took what this boy had to offer. On a smaller scale, this boy, this, this, this boy brought what he had. And on an obedient scale, Jesus, he brought his obedience, his tithe, and his first fruit. I'm just saying this morning, Jesus took the loaves. It might be this morning, we need to be in this mood, this mindset. Lord, if I gave this, what would you do with it? Lord, if I gave this today, how could you use it for your glory? Not what would I do, what would you do, but Lord, how can you use it for your glory? Jesus accepted what was there. He didn't turn it away. He didn't ask questions. We see the acceptance of the loaves. But notice we see the appreciation of the loaves. In verse 11, it says, when he took the loaves and when he had given thanks. I'm thankful this morning as we read these scriptures and each one of them, it gives reference to the fact Jesus lifted his eyes up to heaven and he gave thanks. You know, this morning, probably the most thankful person this congregation is the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes what we give him and he gives thanks. I look at this passage of scripture and it gives us kind of the principle for praying over our meals and praying over our food and what a great testimony that is to our unsaved relatives and our co-workers and people around when we just take a moment in the midst of a pagan day and to realize that we can give thanks for our food and give thanks to God for what he's doing. But Jesus there in the midst of this great congregation and I want you to imagine there's thousands of people there. There's a buzzing of, of, of voices and things going on. He lifts up his eyes and he holds these 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 two five loaves and two fishes which he's consecrated to the glory of God and he gives thanks for that Jesus is thankful for what we give Jesus is thankful for what we give him notice here this morning something interesting the Bible points out in verse 9 in, God, in, in John's gospel that these were barley loaves more than just loaves they were barley loaves barley loaves were poor man's food on the scale if you would in terms of food it was the poorest of all food it was the bread of the poor man it was the cheapest of all food this boy came from a very humble background and you might think you know what well, here's this little boy and people are thinking here are these little barley loaves and it could be behind the scenes that some people were kind of just kind of mocking what what was going on there said well what are you going to do with five barley loaves and what are you thankful for but you know what it's just a reminder to us that everything God puts in our hands we should be thankful for anything God puts in our way we should be thankful for if God gives us a trial thank him for the trial if God gives you a promotion thank him for the promotion if you have a setback thank him for the setback you have a problem thank him for the problem you have a blessing, thank him for the blessing. And we look at here, Jesus lifted up his eyes and he gave thanks for these loaves. Other people might not have done that, but he gave thanks for the loaves. He was thankful for that. I remind you and me this morning of Zechariah 4.10 that we do not get to the place in our Christian life where we despise the day of small things. Don't look at things being insignificant, being small. Don't say that little boy can't do anything. Don't say that a little offering can't be blessed of God. We're reminded this morning that God has used small things all throughout history. God uses small things to accomplish his purpose. He took the widow's might and used it for his glory. He took Gideon's trumpets and he used that for his glory. Thank God this morning we have a Savior who's thankful for everything we give. He's appreciative of those things and we must be honor God with even the small things of life. We see the appreciation we see, the, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the acceptance. But you notice a, a very, very wonderful part in verse 11. We see the allocation of these loaves. Now Jesus now has accepted it, and he, now the miracle is going to start. Please don't miss this. The miracle is about to start here. In verse 11, Jesus receives these loaves at the hand of the disciples. And the Bible says he took the loaves, and when he given thanks, notice he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down. Now Mar Matthew gives us an important narrative. Matthew says this in Matthew 14. 1919 and looking up to heaven he blessed and would you notice these next two words he broke he blessed and he broke in John 6 he says he distributed now I want you to understand five barley loaves you could fit in a man's hand two little fishes you fit on the other hand they were not large they were not significant the multitude of people had no clue what was about to happen. 
Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to organize these people into 50s and 100s. He says, listen, we're going to work systematically. We're going to work with organization. We're going to put people down. I want you to sit them in 50s and 100s. Jesus is thinking we need to have an efficient process by which we feed these people. We need to have an efficient process. We get them fed and fed very quickly. And he says, I'm going to, I want you to divvy them up in groups of 50s and 100s. And as 12 men, you're going to be able to distribute to these men, these men and women and children very quickly to help them get fed. So Jesus now, he's holding five little barley loaves and two little fishes. Would you notice the Bible says he blessed and he broke. He blessed and he broke. You know, before God is going to really bless what he's going to do, sometimes there needs to be a breaking. Sometimes he needs to break something. Before God used Gideon to overcome the Midianites, he had to break the pitchers. Before, if you would, Four friends could get Jesus to help their friend, a friend who was, uh, had palsy and could be healed by Jesus. They had to break up the roof of the house where Jesus was at. Uh, Mary broke the stem off the alabaster box before she poured the ointment on Jesus' head. There has to be a breaking. Sometimes God has to break our hearts. And sometimes God has to break, give us a disappointment to break us, whatever it may be, before he's about to do something. And Jesus would break, this, would break these loaves and break these fishes. And as he did so notice he took the substance which was already small he broke it and he made it even smaller he wanted to make he wanted to reduce the size to see the miracle happen in a greater proportion many times we, we despise the day of small things and we think that Jesus can't do something I remind you that whatever God puts in his hands sometimes he gets the greater glory out of something small instead of something big God blesses faith even if it's small God blesses the offering even if it's small God blesses a prayer that seems weak even if it seems without mind I want you to notice he does that. And then notice in verse 11, as he's allocating, notice he gives to the disciples and to the disciples to the multitude. Now watch the miracle unfold. In this allocation, he's broken it. He's putting up in all 12 disciples' hands. And I'm not really sure, because the scriptures don't really tell us, I'm not really sure if the light bulb goes on in their hearts and minds exactly what's going on here. But the multiplication process has already started. Jesus has taken five loaves and two fishes, and he's dividing up enough into the hands of 12 men. He distributes to them, and then these men take it among the, among the multitudes who are divvied up in 50s and 100s, and they start distributing. Would you notice what's going on? He distributes to the disciples, and the disciples to the multitudes, the Bible says to them, they were set down. And he, they start giving it. And you can imagine as they're going from person to person to person, each one of the disciples has their own section of people they're ministering to. And they're giving this to them. And as they're taking these small little loaves and fishes, everyone's told, take as much as you want. Take as much as you want. In fact, the Bible goes on by telling us, not only do they take as much as they would, but they took over and above that, as we read in verse 13. So people took as much as they want. This was a hungry group of people. They were Baptists. They were definitely hungry here. Amen. And and they were hungry. And so they just took as much as they would. And people were taking. And as they would, if you can imagine this, before their very eyes, they did not deplete nor did they run out of loaves and fishes. It just kept replenishing itself and multiplying itself. And as it went from person to person to person, there was enough for every person to take as much as they would, and some took more than that. Perhaps a young mother saw that she had children, and she took extra for her children, not knowing how much they would eat. They took enough barley loaves and fishes. Now, I'm not sure how much it would take to fill somebody with that kind of staple of food, but I have to imagine at least two handfuls of food, maybe three handfuls of food, of barley loaves and fishes. Before each disciple, if you can imagine Andrew, who perhaps was the first in line, who got loaves and fishes. He's taking that and he's multiplying and he's giving away. Would you understand what's going on? We see these simple loaves and two fishes that otherwise would have been discarded as being hopeless and meaningless and being very little as far as the crowd. God has his hand on it through the Lord Jesus Christ and it's being multiplied over and over in the hearts and the lives. Everyone's taking of that. This allocation is, 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 just, is just happening in people's lives. They're being fed and uh, we see that everyone, everyone that was sat down, everyone got food, everyone got loaves, everyone got fishes, everyone was fed there. I'm reminded of the gospel. God places the gospel into your hands and my hands. The gospel is the saving news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, all of our sins. He paid the price for our sin debt, and he left a zero balance for us. And then he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the gospel, from the grave. And as he rose again from the dead, he declared his victory over sin, over Satan, and over death. And our Lord Jesus Christ, as we declare the gospel, we tell people, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You believe on the Lord Jesus 
Jesus Christ. You can be set free from your sins. You have a new life in Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we can imagine here the gospel. God gives it to us. He distributes to us as he distributes to the disciples. And God gives us his gospel message so that we can share and we can tell others. Listen, it's not an option. It's an obligation. It's not a mystery. It's a mandate. It's not a consideration. It's a command from God that we're to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear about him. And so these disciples are distributing. And I remind you this morning, God puts in our hand, he distributes to us that we be distributors to other people. We have to realize the Christian life is not about hoarding. And the Christian life is not about taking as much as I can for myself. The Christian life is realizing whatever God reigns and pours upon us, he does it so we can give out to others and be a distributor of the grace of God, a distributor of his mercy. Hey, you know, this morning we go out here for Charities Baptist Church. Let's take some gospel tracts. Let's take a Bible here and there. Let's take the gospel message and let's be distributors of the grace of God and telling people there's a Savior who loves them this morning. We see the allocation. And here at the darkness, the sun, was, the sun was setting, and the darkness of day, and these weary disciples, they were given these loaves and these fishes, and they were multiplying before their very eyes, and Jesus was performing one of the great miracles of the Bible that he actually would do a second time, because they didn't get it the first time, and it's multiplying their sight, and five little barley loaves, two little fishes, we see God working, we see Lord, the Lord accepting, we see the Lord appreciating, we see the Lord allocating, but notice we see the Lord augmenting. We see the Lord increasing. We see the Lord blessing it beyond anybody's imagination. Augment means to make more, to multiply, or to increase. And as these people are sitting down, Jesus is turning this around. The Bible says they took as much as they would. People are gathering. They're taking. And I don't know about you, but I'm just imagining. They're taking and they're taking and they're taking as much as they want. And it's multiplying. God is just increasing and multiplying before their very eyes. And then later, the Lord's powers at work. He tells the disciples, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. He says, there's probably some fragments left over. I want you to go and take, take these baskets. Now, I don't know where they found them, but somebody came with some uh, laundry-sized baskets, these hamper-sized baskets, according to the, the historians. And the 12 disciples, they take these baskets, and they start going out to the same sections they were given responsibility to. And they said, well, the Lord wanted us to collect all the fragments that are left over, and we want to find out what's going on. Again, in the minds of the disciples, we're not even sure what's going on in their minds, but they do exactly as Jesus says, and they start from this person to this person, this person. And listen, all 12 disciples have finished making their circuit around all these 25, 15 to 25,000 people, and they come back with 12 baskets filled and over and above what, the, what they considered. Look at verse 13 again. Therefore they gathered them together and filled the twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that eat him. Do you get the story here? Jesus augmented it. Jesus gave increase. May I remind you this morning, Jesus increases his church. Jesus increases the power. Jesus increases what we need. And God is increasing here. He's showing them the great miracle of his power at work. Then when they collected it, these five simple barley loaves, two little fishes, way beyond their imagination. Everyone took as much as they wanted and then they collected fragments, 12 baskets over and above what they had eaten. There was a great abundance that God was giving. There was no shortage. Everyone was satisfied. There was no lacking. Listen, we have to remind ourselves, don't think that what you have for Jesus is too small and don't think that you're too old to serve the Lord and don't think that you're too young to serve the Lord or don't think that you're not intelligent enough and don't think that to remove all those pretenses and thoughts that you have and just give what you have unhesitatingly to the Lord, beginning with your life and saying, Lord, you can have it all because Lord, whatever's in your hands, I know you'll do a lot better with it than if it's in my hands. Well, we see the giveaway of the lad and we see the giveaway of the loaves, but you notice we close this morning, I want you to notice the greatest giveaway in this passage. We see the giveaway of the lad, we see the giveaway of the loaves, but you notice we see the giveaway of the Lord. Now we go down a little bit further And the people wanted, after they see this, they understand this great miracle. Word starts getting around the crowd that what began with five little barley loaves and two little fishes was multiplied by the hands of, this, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these people are mesmerized. And we read God, John's gospel. These people want to make Jesus Christ a king. Now, by the way, he's already king. Amen? Amen. You don't have to make him king. He's already king. But Jesus didn't do this to impress him with his power. By the way, God doesn't ask him to impress any of us with his power. Jesus did this for one reason. Read John chapter 6. John, Jesus did it for the reason to show them he is God. And by the way, he is God. Amen. 
He's God incarnate. He was God manifest of flesh. He's God all powerful. He's God unchanged. He's God eternal. He's almighty, unchangeable. God is the, that's the choir saying about this morning. Jesus had a bigger purpose in mind. And so Jesus realized these people want to do that. And he, and he moved, goes away. And when we fast forward down a little bit further, and he meets the crowd, he goes back on the other side of the, of the shore, back on the western shores, and the crowds are meeting there, and he confronts them. And, you know, they want to make him king, but I want to tell you what's going on here. The crowd that he fed, they were not mesmerized by the fact he was God. They were mesmerized by the material things that he did. You see, they wanted the material things that God could give them, not the spiritual things that God could give them. They were like the prosperity theology teachers you find on television today who tell you, if you do these things, God will make you rich, and God God will bless you and all of these kind of things here. And prosperity theology preaching is unbiblical. And prosperity theology thinking takes God and makes him as, as if he's got a golden pot of gold he's going to pour out in your life. And that's not how God works. God blesses obedience, not greed. Amen. Amen. They wanted a material Jesus. They wanted a Jesus that could give them food. They wanted a Jesus that could give them bread. They wanted a Jesus that could give them clothes. Hey, we get calls all the time at our church when someone says, I've got this situation. Can you give me this? Can you give me that? The challenge with that is as much as we have a heart for people that are, that are hurting and destitute, they, these people are professional. They have figured it out. We're not the only church you're calling and making this request of. They're asking for this. They're asking for that. They want a material Jesus. They want what Jesus can do for their flesh. They want what Jesus can do for their appetite. They want what Jesus can do for their pocketbook. Oh, people come to church and they say, well, listen, if I become part of this church, it'll be a great networking opportunity for me. And I can network here and gain, increase my business. Or they'll say something like this. If I can go to the church, it might be a good opportunity for me because maybe I'll get some ideas and I can, I can leapfrog from that and help my career. And there are all these different things. These people are just like that. They wanted a material Jesus. They didn't want the spiritual things that Jesus had. And so we get down to John chapter 6 and verse 27. And notice Jesus has to tell them this in verse 26 and 27. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracle, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He said you wanted a material Jesus. You wanted a secular Jesus. You wanted a Jesus that could satisfy your hunger in your stomach, but not a Jesus that could hunger and satisfy the hunger in your soul. You still haven't got the message. You still don't understand what's going on. He says, you seek me not for the miracle. Listen, the miracle should have transformed thousands of people there on the spot that he is the Son of God. I'm telling you this morning, you come to church, you've been here for any length of time. We see God's power at work in Heritage Baptist Church through the saving of souls. We see the work of God working through his offerings and through his people. But sometimes we get so used to church, we forget that church is not about us. It's about the living God in heaven. Amen. And so we see these people here. Jesus had to be very stern with them that next morning. And he says to them, you didn't seek me because of the miracle. You didn't seek me because of the power of God. You didn't seek me because I'm God incarnate. You didn't seek me because you know that I've called God my father and I'm his son. You didn't seek me because I have equality with the father because some of them were mad about that. He's testing their discipleship. He's testing their authenticity and their genuineness if they're really believers truly in Jesus Christ. And he says now in verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him is God the Father sealed. Now Jesus, we close. He's differentiating the temporal from the eternal, the earthly from the eternal. He's saying, listen, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you want God, he says, don't spend your life looking for that which satisfies your flesh. Don't come to church and don't get in the Word of God thinking, what can this do for my career? And what can this do for my family? And what can this do for my flesh? We have to go deeper in that and understand the bigger picture. God is more concerned about more concerned about your soul than he is about your pocketbook. And God is more concerned about where you spend eternity than how much money you'll lay up in this life. And God is more concerned that you know for sure that when you get to the end of life's road that you know for sure you're getting to heaven. Listen, it is appointed to men once to die. And after this is the judgment. And we must understand Jesus is burdened. His heart is breaking because he spent a whole afternoon breaking barley loaves and fishes and distributing to his disciples taking give to these people. But they're not getting it. They don't get the fact that Jesus loves them, that Jesus is the Son of God, that more than anything else, He wants them to capture the thought, they need everlasting life. And they said, well, what do we need to do in verse 28? We might work the works of God. They had the cart before the horse. What do we need to do to please God? What's the right priority, Jesus? And Jesus answered in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him. We said, you circle that word believe, we're almost done. 
We began with the lad. He comes. He gives himself unhesitatingly and unreservedly to Jesus. He gives his loaves and his fishes, what he brought to Jesus and does not bargain. Jesus lovingly accepts these loaves and fishes. Jesus touches it. He blesses it. He receives it. He touches it. He gives disciples. The touch of God is already on it. He starts to multiply. Don't hold back on Jesus. Give him everything you got. Amen. He gives it to them. They start distributing. Now Jesus, they're focused on this bread because their mind is on this bread. And so they say, well, our fathers fed us with manna from heaven. They're going back to the Old Testament law. They're going back to the wilderness. They're thinking about the manna from heaven. He said, hey, your fathers ate that manna and they're dead. So you're stuck in the past. You're holding on to the law. The law doesn't say. People say, I want to keep the commandments. Keep the commandments, but you're eventually going to keep breaking them. And if you keep breaking them, you're insufficient in your own power to fulfill what, what is necessary to get eternal life. And Jesus said, it's not about that. He says, look, you're focused on material bread. I want you to think about spiritual bread. And notice Jesus introduces to us the thought and the concept there. Notice in verse 33, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, Moses gave you not, verse 32, that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life to the world. As we read through the scriptures here, the remaining part of this chapter, we see the greatest giveaway is the Lord himself as the bread of life. He says repeatedly, I am the bread of life. I can satisfy your soul. He uses the loaves as a metaphor for this principle. And he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am bread that satisfies. Bread is a staple that every, every culture uses. It's a staple that we eat of. It's something that nourishes us and helps us. And Lord, God knows that bread is also something that sustains us. We need, and sometimes we're hungry. We just, well, maybe I just eat a piece of bread that'll hold me for the day, hold me for the moment. But Jesus is, is elaborating on a much bigger principle. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, listen, what I want you to do is take of me. And he uses the example. He uses this metaphor. He says, whoever eats of me and drink, eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, he shall have eternal life and shall never perish. And what he was saying there is not that you cannibalize Jesus and that you literally eat his flesh and that you literally drink his blood. He's equating there that this, what, what he just tried to help them understand through the feeding of the multitude, he's trying to help them understand belief and faith is like eating. Faith and belief are taking all. Faith, you must put all your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you've got to take all of me. You've got to accept all of me for who I am. You've got to accept me that I'm God. You can't have a partial Jesus. You've got to take all of Jesus in order to be saved. Amen? So let's read down further what Jesus tells him because we need to close. First of all, in verse 39, he tells him, you want to know what God wants you to do? You say, what, is the, what are the works of God that we should do? Notice verse 39. And this is the Father's will. Now, everyone should zone in today. What is God's will for my life? Well, number one, if you're not saved today, you need to get saved. That's God's will for your life. Amen? Amen. God wants you to be certain before you leave this church service that you know you're 100% sure you're going to heaven because you have believed on the death and burial of Jesus Christ to save your soul. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. Now that's comfort for everyone here who's a new believer or seasoned believer. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given to him, he won't let you go. You can't lose your salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone, now notice this here, that everyone... That means everyone. That's not an exclusive, exclusive to a few. Because sometimes the Calvinists will read this and they'll take one or two verses out of this passage and take it out of, they'll take it out of context. But you've got to zone in where every time it says everyone, because the everyone fits within the context. It means everyone, all right? It doesn't exclude anybody. Everyone is everyone. And this is the will of him that has sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him out the last day. Well, the Jews are upset now. They're murmuring at him. They're murmuring because he called himself the bread of life. You see, here's what he's saying. You will not accept me as who I am. You will not accept me as God. You want a material Jesus. You want a Jesus that will give, enrich your career and fill your coffers. You want a Jesus that will advance your career. You want a Jesus that will do all these physical things. He said, I'm not here for that. He says, you have to understand here today. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to give you everlasting life and so they're murmuring and now in verse 42 they're questioning his deity it's not Jesus the son of Joseph no he's the son of God amen, amen. and we 
go down and notice verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. There's, there it is. How do you believe on Jesus? Well, you go down a little bit further. He says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. Listen, if you're holding on to traditions, you're holding on to good works, so have other people, and they're dead. They don't have everlasting life. But this is the bread which cometh down from heaven. You understand what God gives us is heavenly. It's a good gift and perfect gift which comes down from above. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven. That a man may eat thereof and not die. Did you catch that? He says, I want you to take of me. I'm that bread of life. I want you to take of me because you'll never die. And then he goes on by saying, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven. That a man may eat thereof and not die. He says, I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. Well, they're wondering, how do you believe? How do you have faith? Notice the analogy Jesus gives. He says in verse 53, verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. You understand why Jesus used this analogy? They're so dense. They're so unbelieving. They're so, re they're so refusing of him. He had to equate it down to where they'd understand. They just ate the loaves and fishes. They took all of it. And there was some left over, okay? So that means there was, that everyone was filled. He says, listen, if you believing is this, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Now, Jesus was not teaching if you literally drink his blood and you literally eat his flesh, that's going to save you. He's using this as an analogy to teach us about faith and believing. You've got to accept Jesus with all your heart. You've got to take him completely. You just can't say, well, accept the fact he's a teacher and I'm going to be saved. You won't be saved. You have to accept the fact that he's the son of God who came to earth to die for your sins and rose him for the dead. And he's still God and he offers you eternal life. You must without reservation accept that Jesus Christ is who he is and take him by faith. You say, well, I've got a lot of questions still need to be answered. Ask the question, but I'll tell you, Jesus answers every one of those questions. So he brings it down to a level they can understand. You take all of me. Receive me for who I am you have everlasting life. And in these verses in John chapter 6, repeatedly, as Jesus is dealing with this crowd of people, repeatedly talks about everlasting life and she'll never die and I'll raise them up for the resurrection. You know what he's doing? He's saying, listen, you need hope for the future. You need hope for life eternal. You need hope for what's going to happen. When you leave this life, what will happen? Jesus tells us, if you're not saved, you'll spend eternity now. But if you are saved, you'll spend eternity in heaven. And there will be a day when he'll raise up your body. You'll have a glorified body which will be reunited with your soul. Praise God. We'll be just like Jesus Christ in heaven. So the great giveaway, we start with the lad, we gravitate to these loaves, the loaves are multiplied, the greatest of all the giveaways that cannot be topped, that cannot be exceeded, that cannot be superseded, the greatest of all giveaways was the giving of the life and the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for every sinner in this world every person in this room I am that bread of life he said he's bread that saves us he's bread that satisfies us he's bread that sustains us he is the bread of life do you understand what's going on with our Lord he gave his all gave his life and we take him as savior we receive something we don't deserve eternal life is the gift from God we don't deserve that amen? amen it's a gift from God he gives it to us freely unhesitatingly and all he's telling this group of people you see the faith of this little boy you see the power of God through the word through the lows now I bring it back to you will you have faith that God's power can change your life like he changed those loaves. Think of what God can do with a life that puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and says, Lord, here am I. Use me. Think of what he could do for you. This morning, if you're not 100% sure you're saved, we invite you today to open your heart and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. You're not sure today. Get saved today. All through this week, we've had people 
It came to this point in their lives where they realized, just as Jesus was talking about here, they needed to get saved. We offer to you this morning, God offers to you the gift of eternal life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. We need to close. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're not sure this morning you're saved and going to heaven, you're a sinner just like I am. But 47 years ago, I came to the conclusion, the realization I'm a sinner who needed to get saved. And I believed with all my heart and by faith took Christ to be my, my Savior who washed away my sins and made me a child of God. This morning, this gift of the bread of life is free without payment or cost from you. It's not about religion. It's not about joining a church. It's not about tradition or being baptized. It's about simply by faith, repenting of your sins and calling on Jesus Christ to save you. Now this morning, God is pricking your heart and moving you to be saved. We want to help you today, right where you're seated. You can accept the greatest giveaway by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not a material Jesus you need. It's a Jesus who's the Son of God, who can change your life, forgive your sins, and today you can be born into the family of God and know that heaven's your home. You can pray a prayer like this, friend, because God loves you and wants you to get saved. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I know today I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I repent of my sins, and by faith, I take your son Jesus Christ to be my Savior, that my sins will be washed away, and I can receive the gift of eternal life. Thank you today for saving me. Give me heaven as my home. And a new life in Christ. In Jesus' name.